Well, how are y'all doing this morning? Yeah. All right. At least one of you is awake. And I'm guessing you might have scared somebody sitting in front of you this morning. So whoever's in front of you, they're awake now too. Thanks for that, Logan. Well, we're going through the book of Galatians now. Um, hopefully you were here last week. If you weren't, you can check that out online. Or if you're watching online, uh, you know maybe that's, that's how you normally do that. But I would encourage you to read through the book of Galatians yourselves as we're going through this. Uh, today's text that we're going to get into in just a minute is going to be 6 through 10. So if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, you can turn there. If you didn't bring one with you, you can use a pew Bible. Or if you're at home, you can use whatever you've got. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen here in just a minute, and I'm going to walk through that with you. Uh, basically, the main idea of the text uh, today is, is this. Uh, Paul is amazed that these Galatian believers are turning from the gospel, which he preached to them, and he's going to explain why this decision is so absolutely problematic. So as we get into the text, uh, I'd like to, to have you imagine something. Imagine for a moment that you're with me on an airplane. Okay? So I guess you guys would be the passengers and I'm the pilot in this scenario. Okay? So we're on the airplane together. Uh, we're going to some place that we're all looking forward to. Hopefully you know where all the exits are and the aisles and all those kind of things. Well, I have some unfortunate news, right? The pilot comes on and he says, uh, my friends, we are, we've lost engine. We, we, we're, we're going down. And so here, here's some choices that you have this morning. We, we've, got, we've got backpacks and we've got parachutes. Please pick wisely. And then that's the end of the announcement, right? I bet you, you would want desperately to figure out which is which. You would want to know which is a parachute and which is a backpack. Uh, because in this scenario that I've just brought us into together, as we can imagine, now if you're about to go on a trip and you're going to fly there, I'm really sorry that this is the message that you hear before your trip. And I will pray that this is not the case. But uh, in this scenario, in this illustration, you would want to know the difference between a backpack and a parachute, wouldn't you? Well, what's happening here is Paul is saying to these Galatians, I've given you the parachute, and you're trading it for a backpack. Now think of the, the ridiculousness of that trade. Especially then, now think of it as much greater as us going down in an airplane, our eternal security, our eternal salvation. This isn't just a parachute. This is eternity we're talking about. This is salvation we're talking about. This is heaven and hell difference we're talking about. And so it behooves us very much to know the difference between a parachute and a backpack, does it not? Let's pray. God in heaven, our true God, Alpha and Omega, you are God and there is no other. You have made yourself known to us in your scriptures as Father. You have made yourself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ, your Son. And you are making yourself known in our very hearts today, even, even today, as your Holy Spirit. You have given us your Son as a sacrifice on our behalf so that we might have a relationship with you. And that is amazing grace. And yet we so often take this gospel for granted. Or even like our brothers and sisters in Galatia, we turn aside to a false gospel. We confess that our hearts are prone to wander. We thank you for your grace upon grace. We thank you that you are ever pursuing us. 
We thank you that your gospel is sufficient and understandable and powerful to save. So we ask that you'd be with us now, illuminate our hearts and our minds, help us to focus on your word, help us to understand and apply your word in our lives this very day. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. In one of these commentaries I read to help me prepare, it talks about contending for the faith. Do you guys know what contending for the faith is? It's this idea of apologetics, uh, uh, making a reason for the faith of which you hold. Uh, this is what he says, contending for the faith is as relevant subject not only for spurring us on to greater witness, but also for reminding us of the importance of knowing what we believe. Now, the, he's talking about contending of the faith here because that's what Paul's doing. Paul's going to contend for the faith of the gospel, the gospel which he preached, right? So, he says this is very important, not only uh, for, for spurring us on to evangelism, but also for reminding us of the importance of knowing what we believe. Many high school graduates go off to college and soon consider abandoning the Christian faith on which they were raised. Why is that? Well, among a host of contributing factors is the fact that they were simply never prepared to contend for the faith. They were never taught the difference between parachute and backpack. So as a result, a skeptical professor, a group of unbelieving friends, or an unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend may cause them to doubt the faith altogether, or at least to question its importance to daily life. This trend is a good reminder that every believer must be rooted in the essentials of the faith early on in his Christian journey. So here's the word of God. Uh, I, I couldn't figure out how to get my thing to work, so I'm going to turn around and point at the screen again. Um, hopefully those of you who are watching online, you can just follow along with the words that I'm using, but we're going to read through this and then we're going to seek to exposit it. Okay. Which just basically means we're going to read through it. Then I'm going to seek to do my best to unpack it for you as we look through it and, and seek to apply it. Okay. Uh, so let, I, I'm going to read it, but I'm going to ask you questions. Feel free to jump in. So who's writing this letter again? We just covered that. He's writing it to the Galatians, right? And this is how he starts. He is what? That's a big word, right? Uh, not just for me, because I've got a 25-cent education, right? But, uh, but just in general, it means a big thing, right? It's, not, it's, it's, it's a big deal. He's, he's amazed at this, okay? But he's amazed at what? What is he amazed at? I'm amazed at that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So he is astonished, and I wish I could draw. He's astonished, what? That they are turning aside to a different gospel, right? And I want you to notice this uh, uh, minus mark or this hashtag or whatever this is. I don't, I don't know all my emojis. Uh, well, whatever that is there, uh, that's the original emoji in the Greek text there. Uh, and it just means, and, and it means my thought's not finished here. Okay, that, that, that's what that means. But he's astonished that they're, that they're turning away, that they're deserting him who calls you to this grace to a different gospel. And then he goes on to the next thing and he, and he finishes his thought. He says, so turning from that gospel, what does he say about it? Not that there's another one. So what he's saying is you're turning from parachute to backpack. You're not turning from parachute to uh, you, you know, rocket uh, pack or parachute to hang glider or even parachute to you know, flotation device. You're turning from parachute to backpack full of bricks. Okay? Uh, one's going to help you slow you down before the fall. One's just only going to add to your destruction. Are you understanding? And he says, so not that there's even another one because there's, there's not. It, it's not the same thing. He says, but there's those who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Christ. So there's other people who are troubling, distorting this gospel of Christ, okay? And then he's going to make a very 
uh, important statement. So important that he, he repeats it. You ready? But even if, I, if we, so, so who, who's writing this? Paul. And in the beginning, do you remember? So this is, this, is your, this is your study question. In the beginning, who did Paul say that he was with? Do you remember? You, you have a copy. You could look it up if you want to. It's in verses 1 or 2, maybe 3. You remember? Jesus and God. Yeah, that's who he was appointed by. Amen. So he's, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. But there's actual physical people. All the brothers with him. So there's others that are with him, right? So not only him, but the other faithful Christians and maybe even the other apostles, we could, we could say, because he's an apostle as well. So those who are with him. And so he says, but even if we, meaning he himself, he includes himself in this. And by the way, you have to include your pastor in this because if it's true for Paul the Apostle, it's got to be true for, for me. It's got to be true for you, right? It's got to be true of your favorite TV evangelist or your radio host or anything else that you live, podcast, anything else, books you read. So if, if we, or here's the big, he's, uh, do you guys know what hyperbolic language means? You know what hyperbolic language means? Well, what it means is we're going above and beyond, we're going into the extraordinary. So he says, even if we, a person, or even what? What's this? An angel. Somebody with power, a, a being outside of our own from heaven should do what? Preach to you a gospel. What kind of gospel though? The one Paul's talking about? No. Yeah, contrary to the one we preach, let him be what? That's bad. And then like I said, he says it again right here. And he's, he, he says it again for a couple of reasons. There's some right there in their town that are doing this. And so he wants to make very clear what he thinks of them and because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, what he is saying that God thinks of them, which is even more important, right? Because who cares what I think of you or what you think of me? What I care about and what you should care about is what God thinks of you. And so Paul writes that here. As, uh, so even if this is again, again, I say it to you, uh, let them be accursed. And then he ends his section and we, I begin my sermon with uh, verse 10. He says, so who's he seeking to please? Or am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? That's a question, right? Or am I trying to please God or, 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 or man? So who's he trying to please? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So given this statement, who's he trying to please? God. Not you, not me, not the people in Galatia. He's trying to please God. It's a good place to begin. Amen? But we're actually going to begin at verse 6. Haha. <laughs> so uh, here's the first point. I've got three main points and some, some under, uh, under sub points. Okay, so here's the first one if you're a note taker. Uh, the Galatians' departure. That's the first thing that Paul is talking about here. We kind of looked through that. Uh, and so I want to highlight in the text for you the sections that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to show you three subpoints of the Galatians' departure that I think we can learn from this morning. Okay? The first is this, uh, that they are deserting him who called you. You see that in the text? I've highlighted it for you. That they are deserting him who called you. What I mean by this is a departure from the gospel, is a departure from God. I, I hope that you understand that, because that's what Paul is saying here. This gospel is God's plan, not man's plan. If it, if it was man's plan, it would be different, wouldn't it? If it was, let, let's just be honest. If it was man's plan, the gospel would be, hey, God loves you, he's got a wonderful plan for your life, and whatever you choose to do, he just loves, he just loves the socks right off you. In fact, he's going to love the fire right out of you. In fact, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to, and God is so good, so loving, that you know he's just going to gloss over all that evil wickedness you're doing, and at the end of your life, he's going to welcome you in, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, 
And instead of giving you fruits and vegetables like a good father should do, he's going to fill you up with candy and junk food and whatever it is that you want, and that's just how it is. Because if I was designing the gospel, that's how it would be for me, right? No guilt, no shame, no rules. I get to do whatever I want. Some people think, you know, if man made the gospel, it would all be works-based. I disagree. I disagree because I know my own heart. I don't want to have to do works. Are you kidding me? I don't like raking leaves and chopping wood. And, you know, I don't like sweeping out the gutters or, you know, getting on top. I don't, do you like work? I think that's why they call it work and not fun, not leisure. So I don't think we would design it to be of any work. So it would have to be some other way. But you need to see in the text, it says you're deserting him who called you. So a departure from the gospel is a departure from God. Because the only way we have relationship with God is through this gospel. So if you, del- if you depart from this gospel, you're departing from God. That's what Paul's saying here. Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 14, 6. You probably didn't have this one memorized. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, what Paul is saying in the beginning of this is that they are deserting him who called you, not just the story of Scripture. When you turn from the gospel, you turn from God. So that's the first thing we see from the Galatians' departure. What's the second thing? I'm glad you asked. He says this, that you are so quickly deserting. This is happening fast. Now, commentaries, uh, commentators, I wasn't there, so I can only go by the commentators who also weren't there. Uh, but this is what they speculate. There's a couple ways we can take this terminology. To turn quickly is either they, he, he just preached to them, right? So this is Sunday. So I'm preaching to you today, and then this afternoon or Monday, you turn away. That's quickly, right? That would be considered quickly. Another option for quickly is, so I, I'm preaching to you today, Paul's preaching to them today, and it takes time for them to turn away, but somebody comes in, and says, I've got a new gospel. And then you say, ha, great, and you turn away, right? So that would also be a turning quickly. So it's not necessarily the measure of amount of time from the preaching. It could be that, like they just heard it and now they're turning already. Or it could be, it didn't take much for them to convince you otherwise. It could be either turning quickly. Does this make sense? But what we need to see here is that departure from the gospel can happen quickly. It can happen quickly. If you don't believe me, look at our society. There was a time period where I think it was like 80% of people believed in the God of the Bible, and believed that Jesus was a son, believed in biblical morality. And now if you look at our society, I don't know what the statistics are. 70% of statistics are all made up, right? So I didn't bother looking them up. But I can tell you that the numbers are a lot less today than they were then. So look at our society. And so this can happen devastatingly quickly. Jesus gives this illustration to us. Jesus gives this illustration to us. I know you're probably familiar with this. Uh, Please bear with me as I read it to you. This is in Matthew 13, 3 through 9. As soon as I start, you're going to say, oh yeah. Are you ready? 
So he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed, of course, fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. You see, even Jesus understood that this gospel message, we can turn away from it very quickly, if left to ourselves, that is. He says in this parable that some of the seed, uh, it hit the ground, and I imagine, if you've ever, if you've ever um, watched a movie where they have this, I guess my favorite one of these is probably, I think it's Home Alone 2. And uh, if you're familiar with Home Alone 2, then you know the scene. If you're not, I'm going to paint it for you real quickly. But um, uh, Marv and what's the other guy's name? Marvin Harry. Thank you. I knew one of you would know. So Marv and Harry are the villains in this. They're trying to break into this home. And in the, towards the end of the, spoiler, towards the end of the if you haven't seen it, you're not going to see it at this point. So at, towards the end of the movie, Marv and Harry are chasing him through the uh, park. And uh, there's this, there's, uh, they're covered in all this goop. And so what, he, what this woman does to protect the kid, he's, he's trying to shoot him with a pistol and he's all gooped up and stuff. She takes this bucket of bird seed. She's this lady who feeds birds all the time. Okay, so she's out there in the park. She takes this bucket of bird seed that she has and she throws it on Marvin Harry, right? And then all of a sudden the pigeons from all around, they can hear the seed hit the ground and these pigeons start flocking after them. And, and you know, you can imagine the comedy. He's ah, freaking out and these pigeons are there and then the police came and they're, they're arrested. And, and so, so uh, Kevin is now saved again by a delinquent of a mother, I must say. And, uh, and so, so anyway, uh, the story has a happy ending. Marv and, and Harry go to jail. That's what I picture when I picture the scattering of the seed. Yes, I, rabbit trail, but we're back. This is what I picture in my mind when, I, when Jesus says, and the seed was scattered, it fell along the path, and then the birds of the air came and snapped it up. I, in my mind, picture these birds coming behind the sower of the seed and snapping it up off the path as it is, is being slung out. So that's pretty quick. But I hope you see the second level of quickness here. This seed fallen on the rocky ground, it springs up immediately. And it looks, it has the illustration of, it has the view from the farmer's perspective that this is going to be good harvest. But the text says it sprang up, but it had no depth. And so therefore, that day, later that time, as you, you can picture this too, this little, this tender little sprout, you know, coming through and it's just starting to come through. And then the heat of the day comes and it withers it. And it looks like those dandelions that you spray on your sidewalk with Roundup, right? You know, all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have this illustration of the gospel going out. On these, different sea, on these different soils. Is that not interesting to you? Peter talks about this himself in Colossians 2.8, which I can't open right now, so I, I can't read that to you. But re, you write it down. Why don't you be a Berean? Why don't you write it down? Colossians 2.8, and you can check it later, and you can see if you can make sense of why I left it in here. For my sermon brings me to the third point of subpoint of this, which is this: how he starts out. He says, "I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you guys are doing this." 
And what that ought to lead us to understand is to depart from the gospel should cause us to marvel. It should cause us to marvel for two reasons. One, you ought to marvel that anyone would leave such a grace-filled God. Shouldn't you? Uh, I mean, if you were raised in the church, or if you know somebody who was raised in the church, and they've heard the gospel for, for many a time, or, you know, maybe, maybe it's not even a kid, maybe it's an adult, and they seem to have raised up in the church, heard the gospel plenty of times, and then something happens, something changes in their life, and they just, whew, off to left field. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've read about it in the news. We've seen it. I hope not, but I, we've probably seen it in our own families. And so you have somebody who, by, by all appearances, seemed like they were saved. And then now they, are, they have went totally in the other direction. And, and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, you're thinking to yourself either one of two things. Either you're thinking to yourself, well, they are saved and they're just living as a prodigal and God's going to bring them back. And that might be the case. But the other thing that I hope you're thinking is maybe they weren't really even saved. Maybe this was just a mental ascent and not a heart change. And now their true colors are finally working its way out. And that should be a marvel to us. It should be a marvel to us that anybody could possibly love this or leave this kind of a loving God. But here's the other way it should help us to marvel. What is different about them than you? Not a doggone thing. Not a doggone thing other than God's grace and mercy for you. Yes, that's a good spot for that. You know what I marvel about this? What we should marvel is that God loves me so much that he decides to preserve me in the faith. John 6, 66 through 69 Jesus just got done telling a group of people, if you want to be saved, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, okay? Basically, he said, if you want to be saved, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people were like, I think that's my, my, my uh, it's time for me to go. It says here in 66 through 69, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Now, Peter doesn't have a lot of great moments, right? Peter has a lot of like bonehead moments in Scripture. This is one of these moments that is a great moment for Peter. Peter, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We should be astonished that we remain faithful. And if we do, we should be astonished that we remain faithful because God is faithful in us. There's a song that I love. You know it. The title of it is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a verse in there. It goes like this. I'm sure you've heard it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it with thy spirit from above. And so we, like Paul, ought to marvel at these Galatians' departure, okay? Second thing he talks about here, uh, this gospel is distorted, or at least they're seeking to. 
They're seeking to distort it. In verses 6 through 7 there, focusing more on 7, he says, There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. Brothers or sisters, you need to understand, especially fathers and mothers, you need to understand that the gospel is being distorted by false teachers. People are actively doing this. This word distort, alter, uh, it comes from the Greek word metamorphosis. You're familiar with the caterpillar and the butterfly, right? That's where this word, that's where metamorphosis comes from, from this kind of thing, from changing it from one thing to a completely other thing. These false teachers here in this text, in the immediate context of the scripture, are the Judaizers. The Judaizers are a sect of people that are basically saying, yes, it's Jesus plus obedience to the law. Okay, circumcision primarily, and then also the rest of the obedience to the law. Others would be called Gnostics that Paul and Peter would deal with later, but they're around the same time. They would say, yes, it's Jesus, but then it's also hidden knowledge, maybe special revelation, right? Both of these should sound familiar because both of them are happening today. We just call them by different names. Now, I'm not saying that every Catholic out there is like this, but there is an awful lot in Catholic doctrine that says things like, yes, it's Jesus Christ. However, there are also some things that one must do, like say a certain number of prayers or rosaries or, or be blessed or be baptized in this way and then have a priest proclaim things over their death. And I wasn't raised Catholic, so I don't know all about it. So I am speaking out of ignorance and I will fully uh, divulge that. There's also that they don't go by Gnostics, but they have this kind of idea where they say, yes, it's by Jesus, but you also, you must have some kind of a special relationship with him. You must have some kind of a special spiritual practice or things that you do that's also outside of that. There are false teachers that are happening now with name it, claim it gospel, with the prosperity gospel, or with this idea of speaking things into existence by manifesting things to come to be. So I want to ask you, if these false teachers are there, if they were there before and they're here now, and by the way, Jesus talks about that they're also going to come, I want to ask you, will you know them when they come? Can you identify distortions in the Word of God? Because the only way that you can do that is by a steady ingestion of the Word of God, by you studying the Word of God. Do not rely on some guy with some piece of paper that said he went to some school to preach the Bible to you. You live in America. J.D. just told us we have more copies of the Bible. I'm just going to be honest with you. You probably have more copies of the Bible in your house than some entire villages do. Maybe in some parts of the world, almost entire countries. You may find that hard to believe. J.D. can attest to that, I'm sure. But here's another part of this. So the gospel is seeking to, not the gospel, people are seeking to distort the gospel. They're turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. So here's where we can rejoice. There is no gospel other than the one the Bible teaches. And they can say what they want. They can do what they want. They can profess what they want. It does not matter. This is what we talked about just a little bit ago, the exclusivity of Christ. Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is Christ alone, and that's it. And we can praise him for that. That's a good place for an amen. There is no gospel other than the one the Bible teaches, and all God's people said, there you go. There are counterclaims to this. We covered that some, and there's going to be more the longer that we're here. Uh, uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. 
But I want to ask you, do you know the gospel? I mean, can you articulate it? I'm going to give you some verses. If you want to write them down, you can. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 1-5. through 5. I'm going to read just verses 1 and then 4 and 5, but the whole section there is good. So Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 1-5. through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. For, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. And then back to Romans again. Romans 10, 9-11. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. But there's also a response to this gospel. A changed life. A commitment to Christ. A forsaking of the old and a putting on of the new. And we talked about that last week. Because Paul writes, Paul, not Saul, at the beginning of his letters. So firstly, I want to ask you, there's no other gospel other than what the Bible teaches. Do you know the gospel? Secondly, do you believe the gospel? And I need to be very clear with you. This is not meaning simply for you to say, yes, I believe. What I'm saying is, are you living it out? Is there proof in your life? Is your identity in Christ, not in whatever your job is or whoever you're married to or however many kids you have or whatever race you are or whatever gender you identify in? Look, if you are identifying in the gospel of Christ, I'm a sinner saved by grace and everything else other than that is just icing on the cake. Can you articulate the gospel? If you had three minutes, if there was a car accident and people were dying there and you had three minutes to tell them the gospel, could you do it? And then are you sharing the gospel? Let's go back to our original illustration. If we're on a plane that's going down, and scripture tells us we, we are, welcome to flight one. It's a one-way ticket. We're all on the same plane and it's all going down. Don't you want to give somebody a, back, or a, a parachute and not a backpack? Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you sharing the gospel or are you ashamed of it? Are you living the gospel or are you ashamed of it? This brings us to the fourth point of what he talked about here. We're going to go a little over. Hopefully they're okay down in junior church. There's a great danger here. This is what Paul is talking about. It's when we, when we leave the gospel, when we distort the gospel, there is a great danger. Here's what he says about it. It's no surprise to you. If we are an angel in heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
Firstly, then, if we do not accept and believe the gospel, we are in eternal danger. And what I mean by that is there is a real heaven, there's a real hell. If you're not saved by Jesus, you're going to hell. That's it. Your friends and family have to know that. Are, is your friends and family here? Do I have their phone number? Do you know that you exist to be a missionary for the gospel? People ask, well, why did God create us? What are we here for? What's my purpose? To glorify God by doing that in, in obedient lifestyle and by sharing the good news of the parachutes with everybody you come in contact with. People should think you're weird. Do you understand that? I mean, people should think you're weird. You should be weird for Jesus. How long do you got anyway? I mean, how long is this flight? 80, 90 years? If we're real on a full tank of gas, you know? Maybe 105 if you coast. When we don't accept and believe this gospel, we're in eternal danger. The truth of this message does not depend on the messenger. That's what Paul is saying through this letter. He's saying, it's not my message. It doesn't depend on me. I'm just telling you the gospel. In our society, we tend to do this thing called credentialism. Do you know what that is? If you've never heard that before, I'm going to explain it to you very quickly since we're already over, which is this. If you have a panel of people who are wearing suits and ties and have a bunch of power for, I don't know, some reason, we gave it to them or something, I don't know. So they're up here on this panel and they're questioning somebody and they say, well, excuse me, sir, could you tell me what your expertise is on the area of X? You know, what kind of studies, what kind of background, how, well, what kind of education do you have? What's your expertise on, on X for you to speak towards X? That's credentialism. You're asking them, what authority do they have to speak on this issue? Here's what Paul's saying. I've been saved by the Holy Spirit. Jesus has revealed himself to me. This is the gospel, so I'm telling it to you. Do you know you don't need a seminary degree to preach the gospel to people or to share it or to hand out tracts? You don't need that. That's why my, this job is crazy. Hebrews 9, 27, as just as an appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, right? So if we don't accept or believe it, we're in great danger. But also when we misrepresent or misuse the gospel, we are in eternal danger. There's false teachers out there. Some of them seem to have a lot of success in their life. They have so much success, people buy their books just because they have a smiling face on the cover of it. But there's no plan B. There's no other option. There's an old Latin phrase, and it, I don't know what the Latin is. I, I have it here, but I, I can't read Latin. But this is the uh, English translation of it, which is, goes like this. The corruption of the best is the worst. Do you know why? Because it was the best, and now it's corrupted, and that's by definition the worst thing that can happen to the best. Does that make sense? So when the gospel is misrepresented or misused, then it is the worst. Christian, as a walking billboard for the gospel, are you misrepresenting it? And are we misusing it? Do we use it as a license to justify our behavior, just knowing we can just give a hallelujah prayer and we're forgiven? Do we misrepresent it in our lives to our families, to our friends, because they say, hey, there's no real change in you. You look the same today as you did years ago, but now you claim Christ. Thomas Schreiner, uh, one of these commentaries, he, uh, he points this out, and I think this is important for us. Here's what he says. The weightiness of Paul's judgment against these false teachers 
strikes home when we realize that these Judaizers, these false teachers, in this text, for this context of this letter, but it's going to apply to us in just a minute, they most likely proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ. Nowhere in his book, in this letter, does Paul criticize the Galatians for a defective Christology. Christology is a fancy 50-cent word for his, their understanding of Christ. Here's what, here's what Schreiner is saying that we need to understand. Nowhere in the book of Galatians is Paul accusing them of teaching a false Christ. What they're teaching is, what they're teaching is gospel plus works plus law. Gospel plus anything is a misrepresentation and a misuse of the gospel. And therefore, he says, anyone who teaches or professes or proclaims that or practices that will be accursed. Why? Because they're not putting their faith in the gospel. I was listening to a story by one of my favorite preachers, Adrian Rogers. Here's the quick version of a story. There's a tightrope walker. I know, baby, we're six minutes over. You guys can come up. Bring them all up. I don't care. I'm not stopping. So, you know, go get your kids if you want. Tell them they're free. Uh, so here's the deal. There's a tightrope walker from one uh, pass to another pass. And like a mountain goat on sugar, he prances across this sucker, prances back, and people cheer. And he says, I've got a wheelbarrow. Who thinks that I can take the wheelbarrow across? And they're like, yeah. And he says, you, sir. You believe that I can take the wheelbarrow, don't you? And they're like, yeah, we just saw you go across this thing. Crazy good. Take it. And he says, will you do me the honor of proving to everybody that we can take the wheelbarrow? And he's like, yeah, I'd love to. He says, please step into the wheelbarrow. You see, it's not that maybe you have a wrong idea of who Christ is, but practicing it wrong, misrepresenting it is still wrong. Anything that adds to the work of Christ or requires works is not the gospel. So that brings me finally to this. Thank you for being so patient. This is what we need to make as a glorious decision, and I hope that you've made it. I hope that you're recommitting to it, but if today's the day, then I hope that you'll choose to make it this very hour. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Here it is. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, we cannot serve both God and man, so I beg you, let's serve God. Let's be all out. Let's be all out. I mean, what can man do to us? Just kill us? To live as Christ, to die as gain. You will die a martyr's death. So don't turn to the right or the left of the gospel. I want you to work to understand and apply the gospel to your life. Because by the way, the gospel isn't just for eternal salvation. The gospel is for how you talk to your spouse, how you raise your kids, how you work at your job, how you drive down the highway. Believe it or not, the gospel is supposed to affect every single facet and area of your life. Seize opportunities to share this true gospel of Christ and let us be servants of the most high God. Paul writes this because he's amazed that these Galatians turn from this gospel. And he explains why this decision is problematic. I hope I have too today. Today, this danger is even more present and problematic. Gospel distortion or dis desertion leads only to destruction. Therefore, I bid, as Paul does, 
Let's make the glorious decision to become a servant of Christ. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Help us to remain faithful where these Galatians failed. Help us to guard those around us, guard one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to put in place and practice this glorious decision to live for you. God, we thank you that you are our Father in heaven, that you have began a good work in us is and are faithful to see it through to completion. So help us to every day wake up and marvel at your saving grace. It's in your name we pray.